The first thing I'd, um, good way to start is by introducing the three of us. Uh, for those of you who don't know us, I'm Christina. This is Rodney, a longtime friend and colleague, and also Pascal, who will be helping us on this retreat. And is often the case on this particular retreat in the summer, you'll we have a variety of accents that we'll be bringing. Fortunately, Rodney, as the American representative, will be responsible for any translations. <laughs> I'd really just like to begin by truly welcoming all of you. Uh, many familiar faces here, and it's wonderful to see you back. And for those of you who are new to IMS, and I, I know there are quite a few of you who are new to IMS, first of all, I just want to say I commend you for your willingness and courage, perhaps for the first time, to undertake a longer retreat. And I know in the beginning it can all seem a little bit strange and maybe even a little bit daunting. But in my experience, there's, it's actually much easier to do a seven- or eight-day retreat than a weekend retreat. Because this length of a retreat will give you, for those of you who are new, the opportunity to not just experience some of the challenges of the practice, but truly also some of the fruits and the very deep benefits. So I, for those of you who are new, I just encourage and invite your, your patience uh, in taking this beginning as a time when, yeah, there are steps to make, to just settle in, to make that adjustment, to really what I hope to really feel at home here. So this evening what we'd like to do is to give you something of a little bit of an overview of the practice and the retreat, uh, some of the guidelines, and perhaps to introduce maybe more some of the ethos, really the spirit of really why we're here why we're doing this, why we're undertaking this. You know, the Buddha once said that just as the great oceans have just one taste, which is the taste of salt, he said this Dharma, this teaching, this path, also has just one taste, which is the taste of freedom. And that this taste of freedom is something that permeates and pervades the whole of the path from its most gentle surfaces to its most profound depths. And for me, this is really the invitation of what we do here, to partake for ourselves of that taste of freedom 
that really might be born of being more present, more aware, more connected, more awake in our lives in the moment. And despite all of the different stories and all of the different backgrounds of everyone here, I think that for most of us, this is what really draws us to this practice, to retreats. That, that treasuring and that longing for that taste of genuine freedom. Now, the Buddha often talked about this teaching in four dimensions. The dimension of dana or generosity, the dimension of sila, or ethics, the dimension of samadhi, the actual formal practice of meditation, and the dimension of panya, or wisdom. Now, these, these four dimensions really form a path that embraces the whole of our life our ways of relating to the world, each other, our ways of relating to ourselves, of learning to cultivate a sense of collectedness and freedom. And these four of generosity, ethics, meditation practice, and wisdom, these four are like our arms and legs. They're like the limbs of one body. Now, dana or generosity in this teaching is not spoken of just as material, but it's really an attitude of heart and mind that informs the whole of our practice. And there will be so many moments during these coming days where all of us will be invited to really get a sense of what it means to be truly generous in our hearts in so many different ways. We'll learn to be generous with each other. I mean, it's a very kind of strange situation to get a hundred people living together in one place at one time. You don't know each other. You'll be in silence, so your opportunities for complaint are really quite limited. Um, but what do, how do we do that? Basically, the reason this works is because we learn to be generous tolerant, generous with our tolerance, our acceptance, our allowing, just as others will be generous with us. We learn to be generous with ourselves. You know, it is just all too easy in our lives to to follow the pathways of being so harsh inwardly, Uh, generous perhaps with the wrong things, generous with our judgments, generous with our comparisons, generous with our evaluations. But here, inwardly, we learn perhaps to be generous with our kindness, with our acceptance, with our forbearance, with our patience. And we learn, too, to be generous, truly, with our willingness, our willingness to to embrace this practice and these days and everything that they bring with a true sense of of wholeheartedness and commitment. The sila, the ethics, Pascal will speak about in a little bit. I would like to speak more 
myself this evening and about the climate, the inner climate that it is so important to bring to a retreat, the climate, inner climate that really allows understanding and insight, wisdom and awakening to really grow and happen. And in doing so, I'd like to to kind of go back a little bit to some of the instructions that I was first given when I began to practice. And my first teacher said to me that that to practice and to undertake this practice, that it's really helpful to cultivate a secluded place with long views secluded place with long views. And in many ways, that, of course, is what we do here, and it is really what IMS is really dedicated to providing. We have a secluded place to some extent here in the retreat, even though you're practicing together with 99 other people. What does it mean to have a secluded place? Well, part of it, of course, is the environment of this very wonderful center. You know, we don't show movies in terms of entertainment. This is really as good as it gets. Um, my apologies for that. You know, we, we don't, you notice there's no libraries. There, there's not really a whole lot to do here. You cultivate a secluded place just in what you let go of to come here. You know, I know how hard it is for people to get to a retreat and how much they often have to let go of. You know, the busyness of their lives, their relationships, their commitments, the schedules, your cell phones, the, you know, all the planning that needs taken care of. We let go of a lot just to come here on a retreat. And I would really encourage you to really savor, in some ways, the freedom of that, of what you have put down just to be here. And and to really savor that so it is really a conscious sense of letting go rather than of being deprived of something. We let go of all of that busyness so that we have the inner space and the silence and the stillness to be able to listen inwardly and to reconnect with perhaps what is what truly matters, what is of most enduring value in our lives. Mindfulness, the practice we will cultivate here, is really a practice where we cultivate a certain kind of Uh, simplicity, connectedness, and seclusion. But I would mention that we could be in the most secluded environment in the world and still not necessarily have a very secluded mind or heart. I mean, it's quite phenomenal the ways that we can get incredibly busy in the most simple environment. So the seclusion, I think, that is so helpful on a retreat is really kind of an inner commitment. It's an inner attitude, and it's an inner step that I would so encourage all of you to take. 
you know, because we could get busy here. I mean, reading the tea boxes, you know, the housekeeping manuals, the instructions on the fire extinguishers. If you ever find yourself out there reading a work manual that has absolutely nothing to do with your yogi job, you know that it's time to stop and say, what's really going on here? You know, how much are we just kind of really so reliant on that sense of busyness to feel alive? So I encourage you to, to really simplify, really, really simplify. The long views, the long views, this was something easy to understand where I began to practice, which was kind of on the side of a the Himalayas, you know, there was lots of long views. But one thing I learned there is how much nature is a tremendous ally in cultivating the sense of spaciousness and long views. And here, you know, you stand out in the porch and you look down out over the horizon, or you stand out in the back and you look at, at the, the kind of greatness of the trees, or you you walk in the woods. And there is something about being surrounded by this, this natural beauty. That really, I encourage you to allow you to, it to touch you deeply. It is so helpful to have that sense of connection with this sort of space around us in terms of cultivating really a spaciousness of mind and heart, something so important in this practice. So sometimes, you know, if you ever find a moment when your, your mind or your heart can feel so tight or so contracted, you know, or, or so busy, I encourage you, step outside, open your eyes, look at the sky, look at the trees, look out over the horizon, and really let na- the, the natural beauty really support you in that sense of cultivating inner spaciousness. But in this cultivation of long views is, again, also an inner attitude. And, you know, this practice is in a way so, in a way, kind of mysterious and often unpredictable. You know, and it is, you know, we imagine that it's going to develop in this linear way, but it doesn't. You know, we can have a surprising moment of, of absolute stillness followed by a a moment of equally profound and intense busyness. Long views. Don't be tempted to judge or evaluate your practice by one sitting or one walking or one kind of experience or another kind of experience. We need the long views of what we are truly cultivating in the busyness, in the stillness, in the peace, in the chaos. What is it that we are truly dedicated to? As the Buddha said, this path really has only one direction, and that is the direction of freedom. And we can never define our practice or ourselves by the contents of one meditation period, one mental state, we need to remember we are cultivating a heart and mind that is inclined towards understanding liberation. 
Cultivating long views inwardly, I think, is a lot about not drawing conclusions. Not drawing conclusions. I am like this, my practice is like that. To just simply dedicate yourself to showing up. Sometimes I think that's the only real instruction I ever need to give on a retreat. Just show up. You know, give yourself to the practice, and the practice really will do the work. The other instruction that I was given in the early days of my practice, which I found hard to understand in the beginning, but it's an instruction that runs through all of the teachings, and it is the encouragement to free ourselves of indebtedness. That sounds strange, doesn't it? I'd explain it a little bit. Some of you may have been in this situation in your life, and even if you haven't been, you can imagine what it is like to be really in debt to someone or something, to owe someone or something a great deal of money. And you know the kind of anxiety and pressure and contractedness and worry and the, the, the amount of mental energy that is consumed in that indebtedness. And then imagine you are suddenly able to, to pay off that debt. The tremendous sense of relief that would come, the, the sense of a burden falling away. Now, when this instruction was given to me, it really wasn't speaking so much about... Um, material debt, but it was much more speaking about emotional and psychological indebtedness. And for us to understand or get a sense of what we are indebted to, we only really need to look at our minds for an hour or two and see what our thoughts are constantly hooked by, the things that we repeat over and over again the things that we obsess about, what we don't feel at peace with. And a lot of this practice and this journey is actually learning what it means to be free of that sense of indebtedness. Now, sometimes freeing ourselves of indebtedness is really a journey of insight. For most of us, it's a journey of insight. Because I'm sure you all know that there's a lot of things that can torment us in this life. You know, difficult people and difficult situations and difficult experiences, but we probably all know that there's nothing that can torment us so much as our own minds. There's also a great deal in this life that can bring a tremendous sense of happiness and peace and joy, but what we do discover in this practice that there's nothing that can bring so much happiness and so much joy and peace as a mind and a heart that is truly at peace with itself. And freeing ourselves of indebtedness, sometimes it is an outer act of peacemaking. You know, we're not at peace with things that feel unresolved, that we're in a state of conflict with. But often it's, it's an inner act of peacemaking to free ourselves of indebtedness. What is it that we need to forgive, to accept, to let go of, to cultivate? What is it that we need to bring more kindness and compassion to? 
It's an inner shift often where we stop arguing with the way things are and we find the kindness of letting go. The days of this retreat here will be really dedicated days. Every day will be a dedicated day. A day dedicated to calmness, to understanding, to compassion, to kindness. I would really like to invite you to also take part, to participate in that sense of dedication. To really commit yourself to just being here, to practice the possibilities that are offered. And I wish you a truly rich and wonderful and lovely retreat. So I <clears throat> would also like to welcome all of you. One of the people who, are, who was attending this retreat uh, was a young student with me back in the opening days when this retreat center first started. <clears throat> and it, uh, when I see uh, him, I go back to the enthusiasm and the hunger <clears throat> that I had uh, and continue to have in regards to what this teaching can mean towards our fulfillment and our contentment. <clears throat> and I'd like to, if I could, just encourage that hunger from each one of us. I would like to um, ask to see if we can delve deep enough within ourselves to see if we can find that hunger which I call the primary intention for meditation, the hunger towards a, a completely um, absolute contentment, a contentment that is not measurable in the normal ways that we do in conditioned, uh, conditioned circumstances. And we don't have to frame it in terms of contentment. It can be peace. It can be love. It can be a hunger for the truth, uh, desire to understand what this mind and body is and how it works the way it does and what and who is behind all of this. But regardless of how we uh, hold or phrase that contentment, this deep yearning that pulls us towards and this longing for the resolution of the conflict and struggle that we have in our lives is really where the Buddhist teaching points. Now, if we look, each one of us can find that hunger. But what happens to many of us is that our mind, which is the distorting quality of much of our life, takes that contentment, which is the deep yearning towards union, and distorts it so that it becomes, I want something. <clears throat> now that is what I call the secondary intention. Secondary intention being what the mind wants in any moment, 
when it doesn't feel complete within this moment. And it looks out from that sense of wanting and says, oh, the room is too hot, my knees hurt, the person next to me is restless, and what am I doing here anyway? If we listen to that level of contentment, we will soon try to seek uh, conditions which offset that discontentment by looking for a pleasurable circumstance so that we don't have that unpleasant quality going into the next moment. Now, what we need to do in that moment is to really settle in and see if we can't find that primary intention once more. Instead of moving our lives towards a resolution of secondary contentment, what the mind needs and wants over and over again, see if we can't bring forth that primary intention, that longing for union, for completion. And that's going to be irrespective of the circumstances that the particular moment brings forth, uh, irrespective of the sounds that might be arising or the conditions of and sensations that might be occurring because we aren't going to be able to find that absolute contentment within those changing circumstances. So we have to look deeper than that. So saying, many of us have a utility belt that we bring in to the retreat that is filled with lots of ways to distract ourselves towards a secondary intention, towards a momentary pleasure, a momentary comfort level or indulgence level. And those, that utility belt has become quite complicated in this day and age because it contains cell phones, pagers, blackberries, small devices for accessing emails, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. My hope and my desire, our desire for all of you, is to turn those machines off. Let's just put it down or we're never going to know the resolution of what absolute contentment means. This is a very austere environment, intentionally, because unless we see what we're dependent upon, we'll never come to that level of primary intention. We have to see how we are being driven by life, how we seek distractions. Distractions don't happen to us, we seek them. How we keep ourselves busy, and maintain a noise level within us, which allows us to always feel pressured or put upon or burdened. This is not something that is happening to us circumstantially. This is something that we are driven to because we are trying to seek life in a way that it can't possibly serve us. When we come into this environment, we are we bring forth conditions, the environment brings forth conditions, and the teachers set conditions that are to offset this dependency. And one of those very important qualities is silence. Silence is the great teacher. It's the great teacher. Not those of us who are up here point you toward silence, but silence will be the teacher. Now, silence has many different levels to understand one level is just being quiet with one another, not being willing not to speak to one another, to hold in abeyance the conversation flow that usually pours forth in chit-chat and other ways that we communicate. Some of us have never spent a single day in being 
quiet. This is an opportunity to challenge our disposition to constantly create noise verbally, which disrupts our relationship to that quiet that we seek. So please, whether you're with your spouse or whether you're with friends or whether you don't know anyone, maintain this silence from now until the end of the retreat. And let it be, really explore it because it holds the secret. It holds the secret of everything. Meditation is a movement towards greater stillness of being. There's no other way to frame it. We learn that almost all of the noise within us is done so that we can keep claiming reference to ourselves. It's like an echo. We're in a big canyon and we keep shouting loudly so that we can hear our own echo and thereby know because we hear the sounds of our own voice that we are alive and well. This is an opportunity to test that boundary, to put ourselves out there in the canyon and not shout. And as we sit quietly in meditation, we're not here to think. We're not trying to generate more noise inwardly. And it's very helpful to have a quiet external environment because we can then more listen more carefully to the internal noise that we create irrespective of the conditions externally. Once we decide that we want to be quiet verbally, we have to face the mental noise of our mind that is more reluctant to move in that direction. So it's with that intentionality and with our uncoupling of our utility belt that can be very helpful in maintaining a quietude and a direction towards silence and stillness. Stillness and quiet act as a relief, like a backdrop, which shows us the noise of our life. If we're willing to look, we can see everything from that backdrop. If we just observe what is already coming up, what is already forming itself in terms of our noise, we will see the whole the whole continuum of what it means to be me and you. To be quiet with that, to add nothing more to that, just to see what is there, what noise maker is occurring in this moment. And not to add any more noise to it is really the essence of the meditation and the beauty of being in an environment that will test the distractibility will test the needs of our secondary intention so that we can plummet more deeply and more straightforwardly towards that primary intention to know contentment, true and full-hearted contentment. It's also helpful to limit reading and writing so that we don't spend our time filling the space with more distractibility, but to, and if you would like to write down a few things during a Dharma talk that seem very relevant at the time, you're very willing to do that. We're very willing to have you do that, but 
becomes a distraction in itself when you're in the middle of that writing and suddenly it's a paragraph, two paragraphs long, and you never find that you go back and read any of what you've written. <laughs> so let us be simple together. Let us be willing to go into this world of simplicity. You know, the world in its present state of affairs can't handle much more complexity. If you look at what the world, where the world is bursting its seams, it's because of the complexity and distractive nature that we have infused it with. And now it's asking something different, a different orientation to it and to life itself. Let us step forward and say, okay, let me meet that challenge with my own simplicity, with my own quietude. Let me step into the mix of this thing and not add more difficulty to it. That's our challenge, and that I love to be with you in resolving. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Um, am I on? Yes. Um, I'd like to uh, also welcome you here. It's very touching to see this uh, mass of being. There's so many of us here and, uh, in this hall. And just to think of what we're embarking on is extremely uh, inspiring and, and touching. And I would like to um, also say that um, um, whoever you are and however you feel, um, um, you know what is your um, skin color, uh, sexual orientation, uh, the gender you identify with, your age, your the mind state you find yourself uh, in right now, uh, any of these uh, are welcome here very much. I was uh, reading last week uh, the bulletin news that the staff have between them that they send through email, and they, they, they have great interest right now into diversity. And I just wanted to name this, and this institution has interest in diversity. And so, so you, you are welcome the way you are. So am I, with my uh, French accent. <laughs> so that's one thing. Um, that's to make this place safe for you. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about in terms of uh, safety and uh, allowing ourselves to have the best conditions to do the work that we're going to do this week um, is the five precepts that I want to talk about. So uh, I think there's 102 yogis right now in this hall, retreatants, and uh, I don't know, maybe 30 staff. That's a lot of people. It's a big community. And for things to go smoothly, uh, uh, we're going to follow these five precepts as they were taught by the Buddha 2,600 years ago when it was also, at that time, hard to be in communities. And so there was these five precepts. 
that made things uh, run smoothly. And I'm going to talk about them a little bit, but I want to say something else also. Uh, so they are for the community, but they are also for um, a prescription that the Buddha gave for happiness. He said, okay, you want to be happy? Let me give you five little tricks for your happiness. And try to work with these and see uh, how they enhance your life. And uh, so uh, the first one is uh, um, the gift of uh, protection. We, we're going to protect life here this week. So we're going to refrain from uh, killing. On the gross level is from killing each other. Uh, so that's going to be the gross, re- and it's going to get more and more refined as you're going to see uh, and uh, consider this precept. So th- a little bit more refined will be like the big beings are going to take care of the small beings who also want to be alive. So, so that's one way. And then, uh, and then it can get very refined, those precepts. Uh, and, and what does it mean to protect life? Maybe by keeping my gaze on the floor uh, lower, I'm going to protect somebody's uh, life unfolding. They're, they're uh, looking at their life and their solitude, and that's, that might be how refined it can get. And I'm saying this for those of you who are returning on retreat and know these precepts. And, and so the, you can play with them. How far can you go with these? Another precept, uh, the second one, is about not taking uh, what is not offered. This has been done here. These precepts have been followed here since this place has opened uh, more than 30 years ago. And uh, as you can see, there's no uh, locks on the doors. It's an amazing uh, safe place to be. And we know that we're not going to take each other's stuff, that everything is safe here. So again, that's on the gross level. And the gross doesn't mean that it's... uh, Kind of irrelevant, but the more refined stuff is more uh, has more juice in it. It's it's uh, it's gross and it, it counts a lot for the safety of this place. So taking only what is offered, uh, developing a sense of contentment with what we have. The third precept is about uh, sexual energy and uh, sexual behavior. So this week here we're gonna take this training of uh, not uh, acting on our sexual energy, of being celibate here this week. And again, this is not to say that um, sexuality is something bad. Some sexuality can be something extremely beautiful. Um, but the way we're going to approach it this week is by just acknowledging the presence of uh, sexual energy arising and... Uh, appreciating the power it has on the mind and body, maybe, and, and discovering how much uh, respect it deserves. Uh, and again, a gift of solitudes that, uh, solitude that we give to the other retreatants. Then there's the fourth precept or training on the right speech, where we... Uh, we're going to be mainly silent, um, but we are going to have group interviews and uh, individual interviews maybe and other occasions where we might uh, talk a little. And so truthfulness 
uh, is going to be uh, invited uh, very much forward and uh, the usefulness of our speech, how useful it is and timely. Uh, so all these uh, reflections we're going to have about uh, speech. And then the f- uh, fifth precept is around intoxicants. And because we really uh, care about seeing things as they are, seeing the truth of what is going on, uh, then we're not going to go towards intoxicants, which might uh, cloud the mind and uh, maybe lead to carelessness about the other precepts that I just talked about. Of course, if you're taking uh, prescription drugs for your health, uh, you're going to keep following your prescription. So these are the, the these beautiful uh, precepts. Um, if you find that uh, you're already practicing them, you've never maybe heard of them in this way, these five, but that's how you live your life, that's the values you have, then I would invite you to uh, reflect on the fact that you're practicing them and rejoice in this. This is quite beautiful. Uh, if you are somebody who cares about protecting life, then it's good to take time and rejoice in this. Uh, beautiful gift to the world. Also, it's a good um, tool for training the mind in uh, mindfulness. So when you're about to break the precept, or, or then uh, maybe something's going to kick in and you're going to be able to see the state of your mind and, and uh, what your needs are and the needs of other beings are and the meeting of these needs and what you really want to do about it. Anyway, it's a very rich uh, area of practice. And we're going to be able to experience the bliss of blamelessness as it's... Uh, Presented beautiful uh, thing to sit on a cushion and not experience uh, remorse or uh, you know how much if I lie how much time I spend uh, justifying well it was not the truth but you know in the situation and uh, and I can get really busy same thing with if I take something that is not totally offered you know yeah but you know the, uh, it's it's very busy in this mind when these uh, and the, these trainings are uh, are s- sloppy, and uh, so to foster calm and contentment, uh, there are these uh, five little tricks or uh, area that we can uh, keep the gentle and kind eye on, knowing also that we participate in something that's been going on for a long time here, and will be for a long time. It's a beautiful sense of community that it brings. I, uh, I wish you a very uh, fruitful, rich retreat with all the ups and downs. <laughs> so, We're going to end the evening with just a short sitting meditation, knowing probably many of you are pretty tired.
travel today. Took some effort to get here. But before we do that, I might just invite you, if you, if it's helpful, just to stand up for a moment. Just stretch your body out. Now, each day in the first sitting period after breakfast, we, we will take some time during that sitting to, to give some pretty detailed instructions about the, the, the formal practice and how to develop it. But what I would like to say this evening is that there is, of course, more to this path and this practice than just learning certain techniques. It's, there's also what I call the, the art of meditation, which I feel is, is so critical and so much at the heart of what we do here. And in this art of meditation, I, I think there's a, a sense of, of this balance between spaciousness and focus. I, I sometimes like to call it a spacious focus or a focus spaciousness. Now, those two together, I think, are really so crucial and something we're going to learn a lot about and feel our way into. Now, you know that if you're spacious without focus, it very easily just becomes spacey, right? You're just wandering all over the shop, you know, and looks kind of like mindfulness, but actually it's just wandering all over the shop. But if we're focused without spaciousness, it's very easy for our attention and our mind to get too tight and too contracted. So somewhere we, we need to learn, each of us, for ourselves, what it means to have that sense of collectedness and gatheredness falling within this wider sense of spaciousness. So sometimes we need to learn in the practice how to make that adjustment. It's often kind of like fine-tuning a musical instrument. You know, we can get the sense if our practice feels too really tight, we're overdoing, we're trying too hard. Sometimes we just need to open up a little bit, find a little bit more receptivity. But if we find that you know, our minds are just so distracted and busy, then it's very important in that very kind and spacious way to learn to just be a little bit more attentive and more one-pointed in our practice. But we will talk about this over the days. But for this evening, I would just invite you to settle into a sitting posture that feels as upright, 
and relaxed as you're able to be. And take in some moments just really to be aware of your body in this moment. To bring your mind, to bring your attention into your body. Being aware of your shoulders, your hands, your face, places where your body connects with the ground, cushion, the chair. Just quite consciously, just really softening, relaxing any areas in your body feel tight or contracted, letting your shoulders drop, belly relax, your hands to be soft, your jaw to relax. And just widening the field of your attentiveness. Just being aware of the stillness around you. Stillness within this room. Stillness beyond these walls. That sense of spaciousness. Just relaxing into that. Aware in that spaciousness and stillness of the sounds that arise and pass. Listening, receptive, calm, inclusive, to silence, to sound. Being aware of how your mind is in this moment. It feels tired, heavy, or bright, alert, busy or calm, 
Be mindful without judgment. Aware of your body, the obvious sensations in your body, the subtler life of sensations arising, passing. Being mindful of your body breathing, a sense of what it is to be also one-pointed, aware of the beginning of a breath, the end of a breath. The expanding of your body with the in-breath the relaxing of your body with the out-breath. Spacious, focused attentiveness is resting within one breath at a time. The last minute or two of the sitting, again just widening, expanding that field of your awareness, resting in a sense of spaciousness and ease, receptive to sound, to your body, to your breathing. Stillness.
I would encourage you this evening to really take care of any business that is not taken care of, um, to allow yourself just to begin to slow down a little, to be not in a hurry, to calm your body down some. Uh, tomorrow morning we don't have any scheduled early morning sitting period. Um, but Rodney is going to be here at around 6, so if you would like to come and join him and sit and you're awake, please feel very welcome. And if you're more tired and need to sleep a little bit longer, then breakfast will be at 6.30 tomorrow morning. So this evening we come into the silence, the quietness, the collectedness, and we will see you tomorrow, and I hope that you rest well. Sleep well. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.